Love never gives up. Love cares more for other than others than for self. Love doesn't want what it doesn't have. Love doesn't strut. Doesn't have a swelled head. Doesn't force itself on others. Isn't always me first. Doesn't fly off the handle. Doesn't keep score of other sins of of the sins of others. Doesn't revel when others grovel. Takes pleasure in the flowering of truth. Puts up with anything. Trust God. Trust God always. Always looks for the best. Never looks back, but keeps going till the end. Continuing our series on love works and uh, particularly looking at that passage in 1 Corinthians 13, which is such a majestic passage, a passage often read at weddings and has so much practical insight into what love really looks like. So great relationships, they don't just happen, you've got to really work at them and that's where we're thinking about how love works. And so um, as we see the Passage 1 Corinthians 13, which we've had illustrated so wonderfully for us today, we're going to just unfold it a little together. So it, it, it will outline two things that love is, and we particularly were emphasizing in a moment. Then eight things that love doesn't do. And then finally, four things that love always does. We're going to focus on those four things that love always does because they are accounted to the eight as well. So, but let's just work our way through, first of all, that love is these two things. Love is patient and love is kind. Just recently, uh, Pam and I were asked to uh, speak at dear Rona Truman's uh, funeral service that many of you know Rona was such a part of Highgrove, the church here, and uh, uh, it was an online service, so limited in terms of people being there, but so many of family and friends from all around the world were, were watching it, and uh, so Pam was doing a tribute for Rona, and what she felt God stirring to do was to take these words of 1 Corinthians 13, and in fact, to put Rona's name, because Rona was such a loving person, to put her name where it said love, so it went like this, Rona was patient, Rona was kind. And so it went through each of these aspects of what love was. And after the service, in the little chat you get there, etc., so many folk, these were particularly those close relatives that had lived and known Rona, were really moved and often quoted how those words from Corinthians 13 had so expressed something in a practical way of what her life of love had been. It then goes on to give us these eight things that love doesn't do. But before I do that, I just want to also emphasize what came out a little earlier is that those two aspects of 
of patience and kindness are, are two of the aspects of the fruit of the Spirit. So in Galatians 5, we have the fruit of the Spirit is love. And then it unfolds those different aspects of love. And immediately you have that the fruit of the Spirit is love, and then it goes on to say that love is patient, love is kind. So patience and love are a fruit of the Holy Spirit. We often associate them so much with human temperament. You say, well, oh, that person's a particularly patient person. That person, they're not a very patient person. That person's a kind person, but that person's not so kind. But what the Bible is saying to us, this is not just an outcome of our human temperament. In fact, when we become a Christian and we experience worries for our life, be filled with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit produces patience. Even for the person who normally by temperament isn't patient. And that's a real sense of encouragement. Any here today, you find, oh, Rob, I just got a short fuse. I, I quickly lose my, my patience at work. But the Holy Spirit can produce in us patience. He can produce in us kindness. And so the passage goes on to give these eight things. We won't go through them in detail because we see the counter of them in the four things that love always does. So love, it doesn't do this. Love is not en- doesn't envy. Love doesn't boast. Love is not proud. Love is not rude. And so it goes through these eight. And in the middle of them is this amazing expression where it says this. Love is not self-seeking. The very heart of love, love is about giving, not getting. And we find that so wonderfully expressed, of course, in that supreme act of the Lord Jesus when he gave himself for us. We had those words at the beginning of our service in 1 John chapter 4. See, God so loved the world, he didn't get everything he could out of it. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Whoever believed in him would not perish but have everlasting life. That's the wonder of God's love. And then it'll go on to give us, in this Passion Corinthians 13, these four things that love always does. Always does. It's the very essence of love. Firstly, love always protects. You see, even from the youngest age of a mother with a baby, and you'll find that mother always protecting that baby. Or when you're out with someone you really love, you always want to protect them. And it's not just protecting from physical danger or accident, as it were. But also it's protecting them in a sense from some of those negative influences impact, whether it's gossip or things that happen, but you, you always want to protect someone that you love. There's an uh, interesting passage in 1 Peter where Peter writes these words, love covers a multitude of sins. When I first read that, I thought, ooh, that sounds a bit strange. You, you don't sweep sin under the carpet. You don't cover it up. But it's not that thought. In fact, the experience of forgiveness is the grace of God that wipes it clean. But when we've been hurt by somebody, when someone's failed us, when it's our fault, love covers those faults and weaknesses. Right from the beginning of the Bible, even in, uh, I often value this story in um, Genesis chapter 9. So right at the beginning of the Bible, when the whole unfolding revelation of God's grace and forgiveness was still so new to mankind and understanding the ways of God. And yet we have this picture in Genesis 9. What happens is Noah, Noah that built the ark, in fact, he also planted a vineyard. And when he planted his vineyard, he had a great crop of grapes and uh, he squeezed the juice out of them and the juice, fer- the juice fermented and it was quite potent stuff. And Noah, for the first time, drank some of this really potent alcohol, as it were. And he got as drunk as a lord. Yeah, this is Noah, 
drunk as a lot. In fact, he was naked, rolling around his tent, as drunk as could be. And one of his sons arrived. In fact, Ham, his name was. And he gets inside the tent, and he sees the old man running, rolling around, drunk as could be, on the floor, singing at the top of his voice, I expect. And do you know what he does? He immediately goes outside to find his brothers. That's, in fact, Sham and Japheth. And he says to him, come on in, come and have a look. Do you know what? Dad, he's as drunk as can be, rolling around in the tent in there. Come and have a look, quick, quick. You know, it's like where you, you, you see something. It's, our, our Sunday papers, they'd be full of it. It's kind of, kind of the, those kind of gossip stories. It's what we call the peep type news. Come and, come and have a peep yourself. And, and you can imagine them rushing inside to all have a look and be able to tell everybody what they've seen. But instead of that, do you know what they do? In fact, Sham and Jepheth, they take their coat off, their cloak, and stretch it between them. And it says they walked backwards under the flap of the tent and stretched their coat over their father's nakedness so it wouldn't see it. See, what love does, it covers a multitude of our human weaknesses and faults. Do you know the opposite of it? It's in that list of eight. Do you know what love doesn't do? It doesn't delight in evil or falsehood or gossip. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love always protects. That's a real challenging thing sometimes, even in the closest relationships we've got, because what happens is we easily keep a record of evils. The thing, the thing about the closer you are to a person, the more you know about them, the person who's nearest to you is the folk who know all your faults, all your failures, all your weaknesses. And therefore, the next time there's an argument, the next time there's a problem, boy, are they quick to be, but remember you did that? Hey, what about when you said that? And what about when you went there and did that? And we almost use those past failures as our raw material, ammunition in an argument. Whereas love keeps no record of wrong, of failure, of weakness. Love covers a multitude of sins. There are people who have hurt us, even people perhaps close to us. Sometimes that hurt means that we sometimes keep a record of it. But love always covers those multitudes. Love always protects. Second thing that love does, and it says that love always trusts. These are such key things. That's why these are the four things that love always does. Love always trusts. In fact, I have found so often in broken relationships, even with marriage, the first thing that goes is trust. As soon as that begins to happen, you find it accumulates where a person doesn't trust any longer what they're saying, what they're doing. And see, love always trusts. It's important, even for a child growing up. You know, even for children today, you know, trust is such an important thing in our lives. How do we as parents help to cultivate trust? You can always see often a child quite early on the difference between a child who has a sense of trust, a child who somehow that's been squashed out of their life. I often tell the story of when our children were young and uh, uh, growing up and um, I can still remember particularly Greg when we used to go and visit Grands. Visiting Grands was a special occasion because we lived in a flat. Gran lived in a house. She had these things that you called, what you call them, stairs. 
You know, you you go up like a ladder. You go upstairs. We didn't have any in ours because we lived in a flat. So, so in fact, so when we went to this house stairs, in at first when Greg he was only a little toddler, uh, and it was a bit dangerous because Nan didn't have one of those stair gates, you know, that stops you going up and down. And, and you know, we bit so I taught Greg a little game we would play, and this is the only time we'd go on these stairs was when we played our game. So he eventually he was just a little toddler. He, he was only half the size. Of this well, well, the step was almost half his size, and he, he climbed up onto the top of the step. And I said, "Stand there," and he stood there. I said, "Stretch your hands out." He stretched his hands out, and I said, "What I want you to do is this, Greg. I'm going to stretch my hands out as well, and I want you to close your eyes." And he stood on the edge of the top step. Well, the first step, this one here, and. I said, when I say trust, with your eyes closed, just jump. And I promise I'll catch you. Do you trust me? And he kind of nodded. And I said, okay, close your eyes. And he's on the top step. He closed his eyes. And there's a kind of moment, because he can't feel me. He can't see me. And I say, trust. Now, if I'm honest, he did open his eyes the first time. And sort of, he had him squeezed for a while. But then he, he, just before he jumped, he looked and jumped. And then, then he giggled and smiled and he went back up again. And this time as he stood there and I, I said, trust. And he really held his eyes closed and just jumped into mid-air, as it were. And I caught him. He couldn't wait. He's back up the step and he climbed up. It took him quite a bit of climb. He climbed up to the second step. It was now twice as high. And he stood there waiting on the edge. And I, I, I said to him, are you ready? And he, he was a bit nervous this time. He said, are you really ready? He said, yeah. And so I said, close your eyes. And he closed his eyes. And I could see him really trying... And I said, trust, and he, and he jumped, and I caught him. Every time he went to Nan's, you know, he was getting big. He went up the next step, and the next step. The trouble was he was getting bigger now. It wasn't so easy to catch him, but anyway, we managed as he went. And every time, it was a next step of trust for him, for all of us, in this experience of God's love in our lives. For every one of us today, there's a next step to take. It may be higher than the previous experience. It may be something we've never quite gone that far before. What is it in our lives at the moment we're having to trust God for? What is it we need to step out in this amazing promise underneath of those everlasting arms? One of the things we're never too heavy for God. He always can catch us. Love always protects. Love always trusts. And then these last two, love always hopes. And love always perseveres. It's so important to cultivate hope in the lives of those we love. That we, we have a sense of hope for them. Hope helps to draw out the full potential of people. It stirs people's aspirations. It's wanting the best for them. How do we love with a sense of hope? What does it mean even for our children to stir a sense of hope in them rather than a cynical way in which sometimes they, they never sense, oh, that, I, I could never do that, I could never do it. Even from a youngest age again, in our closest relationships, we cultivate hope, a sense of aspiration, of possibility, of potential. Even when our, our child first goes to nursery school, for some of you who are younger, you may remember going to nursery school the first time. Do you remember the first drawing you did? All that kind of scribbling and, you know, uh, even the paints were a bit dappy as you splashed water on them, all the colours, and you brought it home to mum. And as you get in the house, it's your first ever one. How do we as parents handle it? Oh, well, that's lovely love, and we stick it on the table for a little while, and when they've gone, we screw it up and stick it in the bin. I mean, it, it was just a scribble. 
Or do we treat it like as if it was a Picasso? We stick it up on the fridge door. We even the next day think, oh, I hadn't noticed that blue in the corner there. And, uh, and we draw, and, and you can see them smile as if, that's my, that's, my, that's my little drawing. How do we stir hope? From the youngest age, it's so important. You know Nick Park? He's the creator of those amazing animations, Wrong Trousers and Chicken Run and all the others. Do you know how it began for him? He was just as young as some of you here. He was just a little boy. His dad made for him a little what we call pinhole camera. It was a box with a hole in it. He made it for him. It's just a, and he took his first picture ever. It was rather a, a fuzzy one. And then he took another. And he took a few of them. He took them to school and he made his first cartoon on it when you could flick the pictures together, etc. That was his first cartoon. You know, he was a little boy. But you know what it did? It stood hope in him. A sense of expectation, of possibility, of potential. Now, most likely the most well-known animation artist in the world. What is it about love that can draw out a sense of hope, potential in people? Love always hopes, even when sometimes it's struggling in a situation, yet love hopes. But for that hope to become meaningful, rather than just a flash in a pan where, you know, a big idea we think you do, but after a day or two we've given them, it's perseverance, together with hope, that produces that sense in life of creativity and wonder. You see, for Nick Park, he took those first few pictures. But you know, today, just to do one minute of animation film takes hours and hours and hours of filming. What you see is just a minute on the screen, but in fact behind it, hours of work and creation, editing, putting together. And it's where that hope and perseverance work together. What is it to persevere? Never to give up. Not to give up on people. People we love and know, and even when they failed and made mistakes, how can love cover that, not keep a record of wrong? How can it still hope? You know, it's sad sometimes, and I've seen it in life, where folk who are once the closest of relationship, and then things begin to go wrong and bad. And I've known people come to me and say, Rob, I've, I've given up hope on him. But this is your husband or your wife. or Yeah, but I've given up hope. Really? See... Faith is the substance of things hoped for. Without hope, it's difficult to express faith because you're putting your faith in what you sense, a hope, a sense of expectancy. James has these amazing words in James chapter 1. It says this. It says that testing of our faith, the testing of our faith brings or produces perseverance. And perseverance, when it has finished its work, brings maturity. It brings that grown-up love, that mature love. It's not just a kind of fairy tale love that's only ever known, smiling and wonder and wonderful. It's a love that's gone through testing, and yet has come through, it's persevered. This is the wonder of God's love for us. It's the wonder of God's love in us. It's the fruit of the Holy Spirit. We can't just do it. See, love, so often, what we see in our romantic films and little novels and things, love seems if it's just a, a sum product of all our hormones, our emotions, all packed together. No. Real love is a fruit of the Spirit. It's a love that always protects. It's a love that always trusts. 
It's a love that always hopes and always perseveres. This is God's love, lived out in the fullness of the Spirit. It's a love that really works. Great relationships don't just happen. We have to work on them to experience God's Spirit working in us to produce that. Father, come now by your Spirit, we pray. For each of us here today, when we struggle sometimes in our relationships, O oh God, come by your Spirit. Fill us afresh. Help us to know that love that is patient and kind. That love that always protects, that always trusts, that always hopes, that always perseveres. In the fullness of your Spirit, in Jesus' name. Amen.